Welcome to Soli Church. This week, Pastor John Noyes continues our study through the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Enjoy. How we doing? <clears throat> How we doing? I mean, okay, so you guys know me by now. I like it when you guys talk to me. Hi. <laughs> it's all about me. No, it's not all about me. It's not. Um, let me start us with prayer. Uh, God, you are so good. You're wonderful. You're glorious. You're splendid. You're beautiful. You're holy. You're just. You're kind. You're patient. You're all powerful. You're forgiving. You're an amazing God, and we are so grateful that we get to stand here today uh, before you on your day, a day that we set aside to remember you, and to worship you, to hear about you, to sing about you, to read about you. And Lord, we would pray that, uh, that you would use this time uh, for your glory. And through it, I'd pray that everybody here, we just look a little bit more like Jesus when we walk out of here. We are a little bit more prepared to uh, face the week ahead. And a week now gone, Lord, we pray that the stresses, the, the turmoils, the distractions, you would move to the side and continue the work that you've started in every one of us, Lord. Would you help us, allow us really to have the privilege of leaning on you more and more with every breath. Grant us the opportunity and the ability to look through our circumstances to see that beautiful, wonderful, rugged cross and the glory that waits beyond it where we get to see you face to face. So Lord, as, uh, as we bring your word today to be preached, I pray that you just use me. Give me the strength to be faithful. Give me the mind to be faithful. And I just pray that, uh, that we're just a little bit changed today, more and more into the image of your son, so that we can love you a little bit more and each other a little bit better. In Christ's name, amen. It's good to be back here with you guys. Kids, if you guys are paying attention, we have some words for you. Uh, Jesus, prayer, mission, gospel. They're really generic words. They could probably be used for any sermon we preach here. Um, but I think we have lollipops still. So that's a, I'm going to be taking notes while I'm preaching so I can get a lollipop. You know, the, this morning I thought that I'd, I'd like to start our time together with a kind of a review of what we've seen in Mark so far. Because oftentimes, at least for me, just for me, I sit in church and, and the words preach, and I think that we do it rightly here. I think that we take passage of scripture in order as they appear in the text and we exegete them, we preach them uh, faithfully, I think. But sometimes when we do that, we kind of lose where we are. At least I do. I lose where I'm at in the story, in the narrative. So you see what we have in the Bible here, what we have in these pages of of scripture is the true story of reality. These things are events that actually happened to real people in real places at real times, and they were written for a real purpose. And I'd just like to kind of survey the last few weeks 
Uh, because some stuff really astonished me as I spent time preparing this message this last week. If you remember, uh, Mark is the earliest record of Jesus's life that we have. Um, it opens with a, with a firm declaration of a very important truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is really the main point that, that Mark has been making. As we read, we saw that uh, Mark immediately gave testimony to the fact that Jesus is Messiah, that he's the Son of God. And, and I think that this is important to understand because oftentimes uh, the evidence that's given to us in the New Testament documents goes overlooked. You see, this isn't just a spiritual book. This is 66 separate books, letters written across a, a, a variety of genres that lend evidence to the life of the second person of the Trinity. As he took on flesh, God incarnate, entering into the cosmos to affect it forever. And there's evidence that we can believe this. It's not just by blind faith. This is the apologist in me coming out. I think we overlooked this, and, and so we have to be reminded that, uh, that there's an Old Testament promise, and that Old Testament promise is of a precursor to Jesus, and that's where we find ourselves very early in this book. The precursor is John the Baptist. We find it as, as Mark records that evangelist's words where he says that, that after me, one is coming who's mightier than I. He goes on to say that I'm not even fit to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize us with what? Holy Spirit. And in doing this, I think Mark has given us eyewitness testimony to the deity and messiahship of Jesus directly from the forerunner himself, John the Baptist. You know, the... Then in verse 10 and 11, Mark immediately takes us to the baptism of Jesus. And, and this is really, really neat. If you could track it with me, as, as Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, right? And what happens? A dove falls on Jesus, and then there's a voice. There's a voice that says, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well Pleased. And here, not only have we have human testimony about the Messiahship, the Lordship, the, 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 and then the identity of Jesus as the Son of God from a human being, from a prophet, John the Baptist. Now we have, and follow me here, now we have testimony from the Holy Spirit as he descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove and gives Jesus strength. And then we hear the word of our Heavenly Father. Again, lending testimony to who Jesus is. We have the Trinity in, in motion right here. And to, fill, then to, to, to round it off, we have Jesus' own testimony about who he is. And as if that's not enough, we actually, in, in the verses that we've read, starting in, well, in verse 24, we have a, a demon lending testimony to who Jesus is. Now we have adversarial, unfriendly testimony, where if we were in a court of law, unfriendly testimony goes a long way. There is no doubt at this point in our story right here, this true story of reality of who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the one, the son of God. So we have testimony from the prophet John the Baptist, testimony from the Holy Spirit, testimony from the father, testimony from the son, and even testimony from a demon. And, and I'd say Mark's made his point. Jesus, the Nazarene, is the one. 
And then over the last two weeks, I thought uh, Pastor David and Pastor Nate did, did a wonderful job in showing us that Jesus can, can actually shoulder the burden of proof that comes with these claims. This testimony is weighty. And not anybody can shoulder that burden. But Jesus does, further proving who he is and that what he claims to be here for will actually happen. And I'd just like to briefly, this blew my mind, uh, honestly. Uh, it's still kind of blowing my mind, even as I'm talking to you, because I, I want to read, just, just briefly start our time with reading verses uh, 21 through 34. Um, that's not my verse, those aren't my verses this morning, but um, keep in mind, this is happening. These verses are one day, one 24-hour period in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. This all happens in one 24-hour period, and it's a Sabbath day of all things. In one day, Jesus does this. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And David did really well when you, put, when you pointed this out. It goes from God says to I say in that moment. So he's teaching with authority that's never been heard before. He's blowing people's minds immediately on the Sabbath day. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus rebukes him. He says, be quiet and come out of him, throwing him into convulsions. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came to him. They were all amazed. So they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. They obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. So this is happening in the synagogue and people just can't keep their mouth shut about it. And it's spreading. Even as he's doing these things, the news is spreading that there is somebody here that's doing something incredible and you've got to come out and you've got to see him. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John now, Simon's mother-in-law, she's laying sick with a fever, and immediately, I love these immediately's. It's just like, boom, he's getting things done, checking them off the list. And he spoke to Jesus about, uh, they spoke to Jesus about mother-in-law. And he came to her, and he raised her up, taking her by her hand, and the fever, it left her. And then she waited on them. She's like, oh, I'm done. Okay, now I'm going to wait on him. And then in, in, in this passage right here, in this verse, I think it's not only did she wait on him, she prepared a Sabbath meal for these men. These big, grown men. And she was just laying in bed, uh, deathly ill with a fever. I don't know about you guys, but when I have a fever, I'm done. Even after the fever breaks, even after I'm, I'm, I'm on the mend, I'm done. And she's preparing a Sabbath meal. And then... When even, evening came, we're still in that same day. After the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. So here you have Jesus and, and, and some of his close friends that he had just called to himself, having been fed, 
An entire city has now heard of this man, a carpenter from Nazareth, who's able to do things and say things that nobody has been able to do. And they're gathering outside, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So Jesus uh, wasn't, wasn't riding high on this stuff either. He was just like, I'm going to do this, but you need to be quiet. And I want to make sure that, and that, that as I read, read these verses, that, that, that they don't get lost on us because they got lost, I think. The, this event and then these things that are surrounding our passage this morning, they got lost on that original audience in Capernaum 2,000 years ago. They got lost even on the disciples as they got caught up. And we're going to see that. I'm getting ahead of myself, which is normal. But Jesus here in, in this single day, he demonstrates his authority over the souls of men. Jesus demonstrates his power over the spiritual realm of demons as he commands them and they obey. By the time we get to our verses this morning, we have right here incredible testimony of evidence verifying the deity and the authority of Jesus, that he is who he says he is. And then we pick up in verse 35 in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon, I love Simon. (laughs) Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him, and they said, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, now Jesus said to them, let us go somewhere. Let's go to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. That's what I came for. And he went into the synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Jesus must have been exhausted. Oftentimes, I feel like, oh man, I'm going to get so off my notes because this is amazing. Oftentimes, we think of Jesus and we, we, we raise up his deity. Right? I think we, and and it's, it's right to do that. But Jesus was also 100% man. And I think as we raise up his deity, oftentimes, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that he was a man. And here we see Jesus leaning into his humanity. I think Jesus was tired. He had to have been. But yet he still got up early and he went out to pray. Jesus, while it was still dark, got up, left the house, and went out to a secluded place and was praying there. And there's, I think, a few things that we can take from this. First, uh, here, secluded place is the same phrase that we've seen before. We've seen it as wilderness place. Jesus deliberately withdraws from the clamoring crowd to seek that that, that, uh, this crowd is gathering around him and they want more and more and more and more of Jesus. But they don't want all of Jesus. They want what they can get from Jesus. And they're gathering around and, and, and Jesus deliberately, thoughtfully, intentionally gets up early, withdraws from them. And the scene draws up an image of Jesus going into the wilderness place where he encountered Satan. At least in my mind, this is what came up as I was reading the commentaries and as I was reading uh, the the passage. It it reminded me of Jesus being drawn up into the wilderness where he confronted Satan and, and, and sustained temptation. The nature of this temptation, though, the nature of the temptation that Jesus is moving away from is related to the clamor of the crowds. 
You see, they were willing to find Jesus, the God-man who meets their felt needs. And, and as, a, as a result, he, Jesus wins their affection. He wins their allegiance. But those people, those people who are coming to him at this point, they have no concept of what it means to go out into the wilderness place and shoulder the burden of divine judgment as Jesus had earlier in our story. They don't get the full picture of Jesus. They see what he can do for him here and now. And it's working from a ministerial context. I know here at Soli, what, there's maybe 100 people here. I would love it if we had like 500, 600, 700 people show up in the morning. And there are churches out there that would. This is, this is a perfect ministry growth model. Jesus is winning the day according to the world. Let's keep that in mind. Performing miracles, casting out demons. But the people are missing the point. So Jesus turns from, from their praise, that he turns from their appropriation and, and, and to a place which recalls his steadfast dedication to accomplish the mission for which he's come. Jesus is in communion with his Father, reaffirming what he is here for. In a sense, the man, the man is wrestling with the clamoring crowds the potential fame. And he's going to his father in prayer to be reaffirmed in what he's here to really do. And he slows it all down. And let's not be confused. The mission of God, the the reason Jesus is here, the mission of God in the God-man was not to heal a sick body or cast out demons, but instead to heal a broken world and repair the relationship between a father and his children. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself, I think. Jesus goes on to a, a secluded place to pray. Mark only references Jesus praying three times in this gospel, which was a shock to me. He does it here at the beginning. He does it in the middle as he feeds the 5,000. You don't believe me. I know. I can tell by your look. Now, Jesus surely prays more than this. I'm sure he does. He just, the, the, you know, that wasn't recorded. But these are significant events. So Jesus prays here. Jesus prays after he feeds the 5,000, and then, of course, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he's betrayed. In each of these events, I think it's important to note, Jesus is alone, and it's nighttime. Now, I'm not saying that we should only pray alone and at nighttime, but I think that these things are significant in the ministry of Jesus. And so does Mark. It's here in prayer where Jesus finds his strength to fulfill the will of the father. And it's here in prayer where Jesus finds his affirmation as the son of God. And it's here in prayer where Jesus finds his courage to submit to the judgment of God on behalf of his people. You see, God has work to be done through Jesus. And as we know, because we know the whole story, we know the beginning from the end because we have it here in the pages of scripture. This job that Jesus has is not easy. Not even for the God man. Again, Jesus was human. He wrestled and struggled. He needed this affirmation. Just as you and I, we stand before God oftentimes broken. I stand before God broken. I come to you this morning tired, weary, battered, beaten up. I do. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. It's been a hard two weeks in my life. But I can go before God and he reaffirms who I am. He he tells me his truths through his word. 
And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is leaning into his humanity, just as you and I do. Jesus can further relate to us. He knows what we're going through. So saints of God, Jesus has gotten up early in the morning before even the sun has shined its warmth on Capernaum. And he's engaging the father in prayer to reestablish the true direction of his ultimate mission in the face of the threat of fame, popularity, and fortune. And this attempt at seclusion ultimately wasn't successful because Peter, as typical Peter, he always ruins everything. But he's so amazing and he's got such a great heart. He's always, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, the image I get of Peter is that he's, he's this, uh, this innocent, and when I say innocent, I mean uh, maybe inexperienced soul. Naive. He's naive. Yeah. But he ruins Jesus' solitude. He's, you know, Simon is Peter and his companions search for him. So Simon and his guys, the guys come out of their house and, and they're searching for him. And then Simon has the gall. He's got the gall to say to Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, creator and sustainer of all things. He says to you, everyone's looking for you. And then Jesus says to him, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also for what is, for that is what I came here for. And he went into the synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. I have to, I have to think that, that Jesus knowing Peter and he, and, and Jesus knowing the, the future, this is, this is in some way kind of a dig at Peter, the response. And then because, because like Peter's like, dude, what in the world are you doing here? Jesus what are you doing here? We're all asleep. I wake up, you're gone. And I'm waking. I'm, I'm, uh, this is the way I image it. I, I picture in my mind, okay, they had a long day. That 24 hour period that we read. I, I image it in my, in my mind that, that the, everybody's sleeping and Jesus rises early and he tiptoes because they would have all been sleeping in the same room. You see, they wouldn't have been in their own bedrooms. They would have been all in the same room. So Jesus, you know, moves his cloak off of him quietly, carries his sandals out, opens the door quietly not to wake these disciples. And it would have been easy not to wake them because I think they're exhausted too. I mean, could you guys imagine if your new friend that you just met on the seashore said, follow me. And you're like, yeah, all right, cool. I'm going to leave everything to follow you. And then all of a sudden he starts casting out demons all of a sudden. And we're talking hundreds of miracles, blind men, seeing lame men walking. This is happening right before you. Emotionally, I would be exhausted. I'd be exhausted. So they're sleeping deep. Jesus, Jesus sneaks out. He dips out of the situation. The town, though, the town hasn't forgotten. And in Capernaum, was a, was a center. It was a hub. The town hasn't forgotten, and the town is excited. So the town, I can picture it. There's certain people in the town that are waiting. They're probably up early, too, and they're just waiting. When is the appropriate time to go to this house again? When is, is it too early? Is it, you know, have you ever done that on your phone? Like, is it really too, is it too late or too early to text this person? So they're like, is it too early? And then finally the sun comes up and they're, they're out and the crowds come to the door and the disciples sleep still in their eyes or get up excited. And all of a sudden they look around. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We lost him. It's like waking up on Christmas morning and finding no Christmas presents. It'd be awful. Worst nightmare, right, Jojo? 
Yes. But it's like that for the disciples. So, so Peter and the guys, they, they throw on their clothes really fast, sleep still in their eyes, like I said, and they, they, they bolt out the door and they go to where Jesus is. They find him after a while. And really the language here, their language here is not, it, it shouldn't be search. To do the text adequate justice, it's hunt. They hunted for Jesus, just as prey is hunted. They hunt for him and they find him. And Peter, in his excitement, God bless him. Jesus, where in the world are you? What are you doing out here by yourself? Don't you see what's going on? You are the man. You're the ticket. You are the hot ticket. Everybody wants you. And, and there's got to be a semblance in these, these, these men that, that say, oh, wait, well, they want him. Then I'm, I'm with him. That's my guy. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Remember, it's all in context. All these guys, see, see, the goal in Jewish life would have to fall under the authority of a rabbi. And then you pursue something else when that doesn't work out. So these guys, these fishermen would have been desperately wanting what Jesus was offering, not the healings, not this stuff, but just being led by a rabbi. Finally, I get a chance to make my dad proud. Not only is he their rabbi now, though, He's doing amazing things that nobody's ever seen before. So there's a semblance of fame that translates over to him. I'm nowhere on my notes. So Jesus, he's, he's, I think with a hint of rebuke, Jesus responds to Peter. And he chooses to end it. Worst church growth model of all time went from the best to the worst in two sentences. Jesus, because he, you know, he, he sees the mistaking thinking of the crowd around him. He sees the mistaking thinking of even those that are closest to him. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. So that's what I came here for. Pastor Nate last week mentioned WWJD. What would Jesus do? I honestly think it should be HWJD. How would Jesus do? Because so often today, my heart breaks on Sundays because the largest churches in this country are filled with people looking for a genie in the bottle, the proclamation of a false gospel in search of physical healing or earthly riches. The largest church in this country is Joel Osteen's church. I'm going to name names. Only 100 people here. Joel Osteen's church. He, fill up a, he, he he's, as, 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 as I'm preaching right now, he's filling up a stadium of people, promising their best life. Now, I hope this isn't my best life. I had a hard two weeks. <laughs> it breaks my heart, church. But what restores that is I see what Jesus is doing here. I see what's happened here. And, 
I see an entire city that has misunderstood Jesus and he's, they've misunderstood Jesus' mission. And, and, and Jesus, instead of going with that misunderstanding for his personal gain, instead of even the disciples, ultimately we've got to give them credit, even the disciples, they could have hung around. I, I mean, there, there, there certainly was a discussion, I would think, in my mind about, well, you know, okay, Jesus, you can go. I'm kind of going to stay here and kind of benefit a little bit from what you've done. Live off your fame for a couple of days. I'll join you later. Didn't happen. The saints of God, he was healing the sick and, and, and driving out impure spirits. And these things, just as much as proclamation, they're telling of the nature of the kingdom of God, and, and, and they, created, they, they create in us a demand for a decision. And it's by this decision, a person's qualified to either participate in the kingdom of God or that person is qualified for judgment. You see, these healings weren't bad. These, 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 the demon possessions and the expulsion of these demons weren't bad. They're good. And when combined with the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they create in us, they ought to create in us a moment of decision. What do we do with these things? And I think as we read these, like I said, these are real people. These aren't just stories. My heart breaks for Capernaum in this. Because I think they misunderstood and I think that they made the wrong decision. Instead of involving uh, repentance, I think the decision was monopolized by an attraction to the God-man as a miracle worker, as a genie in bottle. And Jesus saw this. This is why Jesus leaves them behind and chooses to go somewhere else to the towns nearby as, uh, so that I may preach there also. He's going to go to Galilee where he's going to proclaim the gospel of God. We need to hear it again and again, I think, church. Jesus' purpose is not to heal as many people as possible as a manifestation of the kingdom of God drawn near in his person, but to confront men with demand for the decision in the perspective of God's absolute claim upon our entire person. For that is what I came here for, Jesus says. The mission of Jesus wasn't to bring healing to one city, but to bring news of a new kingdom to an entire world. Healing's part of redemption. So as I, as I start to wrap up, this might be record time, Nate. I didn't stop my timer, though. It can always go wrong. Or long. It rhymes. You see that? I didn't even try. Anyways. <laughs> the mission of Jesus wasn't to bring healing to one city, but to bring news of a new kingdom to the entire world. Healing's part of redemption. Yes. And, and, and I'm going to wrap it up here, but I want to be clear about a few things. One is healing, like I said, is good. These healings aren't bad. I believe God has healed and is healing people. I think he has that power and they happen today. Demons are cast out of people. I've seen it with my own eyes. But there's also a reason why Jesus didn't mention healings, I think, in our last verse this morning. And he went into the synagogue through all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. I think there's something here. You see, the power of Satan is overcome by the preaching of the gospel and the casting out of demons. Healings are subordinate to these things. And I find it unfortunate that that's so many, as I said just a minute ago, that's so many 
have made the same mistake as the crowds in Capernaum did 2,000 years ago. Being distracted by reports of miracles and promises of, of healings while losing sight of the fact that, it, that it's the gospel of God that offers true and ultimate and eternal healing. If you heal somebody and you fail to give them the gospel, what use is that healing? And I see it in the ministries of these clowns behind pulpits. I'm sorry. It's upsetting to me. Offering false promises. False hope to people, taking advantage oftentimes of, of the, most, uh, the, the, the most vulnerable in our culture and society, the elderly. I have friends who have given thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to these ministries and promise for healing. And there's no gospel in their message. And I just wish that, that, that people would be running and fleeing from these churches. Seek true healing through the gospel of Jesus. Who Jesus is and, and why he came, they were lost on the crowds. I don't want that to ever be lost here on us at Soli. I don't care about how big our numbers are. I don't care how much money we take in on a weekend. I honestly don't. I got laid off two weeks ago. I don't care how much you give. I don't care. What I care is that this place becomes a beacon of light for the gospel of God. I don't ever want to proclaim a false message. See, we're in a position that in many ways is actually even better than the disciples that day because we have this. We have the beginning and the end. We have it written in form here and we can read it and we can interact with it. We have the evidence of who Jesus is and that this story is the true story of reality. This is real life. That stuff out there, that's the, that's the, that's the false reality. This is real life. We have evidence. We've got letters. We've got poems. We've got prophetic writings. And in our case this morning, we have a, a, an ancient Greco-Roman biography about Jesus. And all were written, as I said, at the very beginning to real people in real places at real times with specific uh, purposes in mind. When we allow this book to speak for itself, it changes lives. I'm standing here as a testimony to that. Just ask my wife what I was like before I read this book. When we allow it to speak, we're changed forever. And we don't need to be distracted by the shiny things, the Benny Hins or the, or the Joel Osteens or, or the, the Pat Robinsons or the, the, any other prosperity gospels. We need to run from those churches. We need to be rebuking those churches because they're not leading to life. They're not healing people at all. But people still are being led by their false promises of healings. And I'm, I'm, I want to end with a reminder here. The mission of Jesus was off to a great start. In that single day, the multitudes were coming to him. An entire city was aflame with the workings of Jesus our Lord. And instead of Jesus stoking that flame, he douses it with water. And he leaves because he knows the hearts of men. He knew how easy it was for these men and women to follow 
him as a healer, as a, as a person who can give them what they most desire in their hearts. But he knew that their hearts weren't willing to follow him to the tough place. The healing ministry stopped short of the purpose of Jesus' coming. We, and the purpose is found in verse 15. Jesus came to preach a message of repentance. Be baptized and follow me. And the lesson that I can learn, the lesson that I learn from my time in the study is that as a pastor, as your pastor, it's my job to stay, and our job, to stay on the course that Jesus would have for us and not get distracted. To lead well into the gospel and through the gospel of Jesus Christ and allow that to rest heavy on our lives informing all that we do. Not ever be distracted by the shiny things. Not worry about the growth of the church. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, I'm so grateful that you've given us such a such an amazing thing, your very word. I'm grateful that we get to <clears throat> celebrate who you are week in and week out. And I'm grateful that I'm grateful that you're still active. I'm grateful that you change hearts. I'm grateful that you change the course of an entire history of your people that you've entered into real space-time, that you gave to this world after creating it perfect and right, God, after creating it perfect and right, and after we messed it up, you gave your son to us, and he lived the perfect and righteous life, one that we ought to live, but we can't. And then he died a perfect and righteous death, one that we ought to die, but we can't. And in so doing, he offers to us a, a promise of everlasting life with you. Our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. Our sin is forgiven because Jesus died for us. And then you proved who he was through raising him from the dead. This plan is unbelievable. Almost. And in raising him from the dead, we find our everlasting hope. And not only did you raise him from the dead, Lord, but then he ascended and now is seated. He's seated right now, right, right with you, right, right there. And he's whispering to you. Even now as I'm preaching, he's whispering to you, John is your beloved son too. He's your inheritance. You love him. And he's doing that for every one of us. And, and this is amazing, God. And we're so grateful that we get to have a Lord like that, an advocate in heaven right now. And we pray that you would come quick. We pray that you would come quick. But before that, we pray that you give us the strength and the means to do your bidding. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Come worship with us every Sunday morning at 1050 a.m. For information, visit solelychurch.com, S-O-L-I church.com. We hope to see you soon. Soli Deo Gloria.